Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. It's that time again. It is time for our limited edition quarterly box. And this fall, we are celebrating all things feminist thriller. So we've got three very different thrillers that we have put together, curated in this box. We have The Spare Room by Andrea Bartz, Hurricane Blonde by Hallie Sutton, and Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. These are very different vibes, but are going to leave you on the edge of your seat. We are pre-ordering these boxes. So pre-orders open on August 1st and run until the end of August. I'm not sure exactly what date we're going to do that cutoff. So if you want it, get it. And then they will start shipping the first week of September. We are doing these by pre-order only. You can go to feministbookclub.com shop. Get your fall feminist thriller box and stay tuned for more content, more information, more sneak peeks of what's going to be in our fall feminist thriller box. Again, that goes on sale August 1st and you're not going to want to miss it. Hi, my name's Vari. My pronouns are she, her, and today I'm going to be talking about Taylor Swift. So it's been a couple of weeks since Speak Now Taylor's version has been released. I've had a couple of listens through. I am loving it. I am loving the new songs and particular a couple of the collaborations. But today I'm going to be mostly speaking about the controversy surrounding the lyric change in the song Better Than Revenge. And for those of you that are wondering what on earth I'm talking about, if you're not a Swifty and you don't know, Taylor is releasing her first six studio albums re-recorded and with extra content, and she's releasing them as Taylor's version. The reason for this is because she no longer owns or has access to the masters from the original six albums. So, on to the controversy. The original Speak Now album was released in 2010, and at the time, the song Better Than Revenge did receive some backlash for misogynistic and particularly slut-shamey lyrics. Now, the song is about a man that left Taylor Swift for another woman. In true Taylor fashion, she's never confirmed who the song is about. But the song does tend to direct more vitriol and more accountability towards the women than it does towards the man. Now, since the song's come out, Taylor has spoken on a number of occasions about the controversy surrounding that specific lyric. And in one interview with The Guardian, she did point out that she was 18 when she wrote that song. And for reference, she is now a woman in her 30s. And she has had what you might call a feminist awakening. She does identify as a feminist. And since that, she has pointed out that 18 is the age you are when you think that someone can take your boyfriend. Then, you know, you grow up and you realize that nobody can take your boyfriend unless your boyfriend wants to be taken. And so in the spirit of that, she has changed the lyric to be not slut shaming. And in true internet style, she has received backlash for changing the lyric. 
I personally think that it is within the feeling of taking back her own art so that she has control over what she's putting out there. So I think that this is a I think that this is a step towards Taylor presenting as the feminist woman that she wants to be and demonstrates that she's done a lot of growing up in the years since she wrote that song. And of course I can't speak about speak now without mentioning that Hayley Williams of Paramore is a contributor on that album. They do have a song together. Which does, of course, immediately bring up the controversy surrounding Paramore's Misery Business, a song that is famously very misogynistic and slut-shamey. And so, of course, Hayley Williams has spoken about that as well in, in public. And she has received a lot of backlash from the internet about that song. And again, she was a teenager when she wrote that. But as a result of the backlash in 2018, Paramore decided to retire the song, not permanently, but for a very long time. Of course, before they retired the song, Hayley Williams had come out in a blog post in 2015, distancing herself from the lyrics. And up until 2018, in fact, would often not sing some of the lyrics to the song in live performances. And then in 2018, they decided it was time to move away from the song altogether until 2022, when they did bring the song back. And in fact, I believe Hayley did a partial duet with Billie Eilish at Glastonbury. But in this case, Hayley Williams has brought the song back and she, she has spoken out about it and she has said, well... You know, we can all learn from ourselves. And so her stance is to keep the song, keep the lyrics as they are, and just to speak out. In fact, in 2020, she did speak out against Spotify, adding the the song to a playlist of women rock stars and women empowerment. So there we have it. Two different artists, two different approaches to their former anti-feminist misogynistic lyrics and how to deal with that in their new feminist age and if you want to discuss any of these things further or share your opinions with me you can drop them on my socials they will be in the show notes or you can come and join me on the feminist book club mighty networks thank you for spending some time with me today and don't forget to drink your water and wear your sunscreen If you are a fan of Taylor Jenkins Reid, Jacqueline Woodson, Kylie Reid, Christina Enriquez, or Lisa Ko, I have a book that you are going to want to read immediately. Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm by Laura Worrell was just released in paperback and is the sexy, passionate, honest, and raw literary novel you've been craving. Don't take it from me though, the accolades are numerous. Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm was named Book of the Year by Oprah Daly and Kirkus, and one of the most anticipated books from the Washington Post, People, Literary Hub, and more. It was nominated for the Penn Faulkner Award and the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction. So yeah, it has some meat to it. Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm is the story of a messy jazz man we love to hate and the women who love him and are loved by him. This isn't romance, but it's definitely romantic. 
This book is a real look at women's love, from family to friends to lovers to partners. It's a story about bad boys, about music, and about the multitudes of women's stories. So if you love multiple points of view in a literary novel, one that shows the messiness and the complications of love, and novels that really champion the stories of women, you can't miss Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm by Laura Worrell, now available in paperback from Vintage. Hi, my name is Ashley. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm here to talk about the WNBA, particularly Dwayne Wade joining ownership of Chicago Sky, potential expansion of the WNBA, continued needs of athletes, and observations I've had about corporations and the WNBA. And lastly, Brittany Griner taking a time away from the sport in order to focus on her mental health. So Dwayne Wade has joined ownership of Chicago Sky. He bought into the $85 million valuation of the team. This is important because he is a basketball Hall of Famer. He is a son of Chicago, and he played for the Chicago Bulls for a number of years. So it's not just him choosing Los Angeles or New York, but really investing in a city that he has that has a place in his heart. And you see a number of athletes on the sidelines at WNBA games showing their love and also getting a little publicity, let's be real. And it's cool to throw up a peace sign into the camera and show that support, but it's also wonderful to be able to put your power and your voice into it, to putting resources and time into the WNBA to make sure that it continues to grow. So shout out to him and shout out to Chicago Sky. Dwayne Wade also has ownership or investment in Angel City Football Club, which is a part of the National Women's Soccer League with Gabrielle Union and their daughter, Kavia James Union Wade. In addition to joining ownership of the Chicago Sky, six women have invested in Chicago Sky. That is exceptional because not a lot of women are in investing. So be able to have women investing in women's sports, it is just the creme de la creme. In also news, there has been talks of potential expansion within the WNBA. This has started mostly Last month during the All-Star Game, there are currently 12 teams in the WNBA. And while it would be wonderful to have more teams, it's also making sure that the current 12 teams have the resources that they need to be able to not only sustain, but to grow as we would like to see or paying attention to see how that works with Chicago Sky in particular. So I would love to see a team in Oakland. A number of of sports teams have left Oakland or are leaving Oakland. The fans there are so passionate that they deserve to have a team that invests in the city and invests in their power. So why not have a WNBA team be able to say that, like, we're here, you, you cheer us on, we do our best, and to have that sort of partnership of community and business and growing a team. So I would love to see that. Kelsey Plum from Las Vegas Aces talked about 
not being able to get tickets for the All-Star game for her loved ones and having a athlete who was on last year's WNBA championship winning team, Las Vegas Aces, not having access to tickets. What does that say for the sort of everyday person who wants to be able to go to a game? It's a discrepancy that needs to be fixed and having that conversation hopefully will do that. There's also talks about transportation and having planes to be able to transport the athletes from where they need to go. The only thing they should really be focused on, especially as a professional player, is being able to get from one game to the next. So eliminating a lot of those issues would be wonderful. I was watching a game on this channel called Ion, and there was a slate of games about WNBA games, which is wonderful to have more places to see those games aside from ESPN and ABC. But something that I've also noticed is just more corporations being involved. I saw DoorDash in particular, and it makes me question what role does corporations play in the expansion and the retention of the WNBA? Or is it just like, oh, we're, we're this business who says that we support women? It's important to understand that and that corporations are necessary in order to continue the growth of this business. So just understanding like what other corporations are involved and how actively are they involved. So Yes, we want the WNBA to expand. We want to see it meet more than its potential, but also supporting your local sports, supporting your little league, supporting your high school sports. Whether you can watch a game at home or you can watch one in person would be so wonderful. And there's also the sports bra in Portland, Oregon, that is a bar that only plays women's sports. It would be wonderful to see that nationally and also to see that internationally to be able to fight this idea of women don't or people don't watch women's sports, which is so tired and boring and unequivocally false. So support your local community sports, support the places that play women's sports, go to the games if you can, amplify, speak to, you know, your friends. Shut out that person who's discouraging anything related to women's sports. And I conclude this conversation by talking about Brittany Griner. She, of course, was arrested and jailed in Russia for almost a year for possession of a vape. And I think it was THC. It was, of course, banned in Russia. And she spent a significant amount of time there. And it was really detrimental to her mental health. She has since returned home and returned to the league, to the WNBA, but is now taking some time off for her mental health. And it's important because while it's wonderful to see her on the court and hitting all these marks and making a, a seismic return to the WNBA, there's probably a, there's a lot of, a lot of issues that she probably, that is coming back to her. So for her to have the time to recover, to have that understanding, 
is incredibly important as we continue to talk about mental health and sports and making sure that athletes have what they need. So I hope that she continues to take as much time as she needs to recover and to heal and to talk about the trauma of what she has experienced and return to the court on her accord. Thank you for listening. We will continue to talk about the WNBA and more women's sports related activities. Hi, my name is Tin Kim and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm joined by Jordy pronouns or she, her, to talk about romance. We're here to talk to you today because I've been reading romance since I was too young to be reading romance. And Jordy is a new romance reader. And we're going to talk about all the things we like and maybe are challenged by in this genre. Hi, Jordy. Hi. I'm so happy to talk about this today. Yeah, I thought it would be really fun to talk about like how we got into the genre, what we like about it. and. And so, so tell us a little bit about when you got started in romance. Like, when did you start reading it and what you liked about it? Yes. So I have been a longtime reader. However, I had no idea that the romance genre existed until I was in college and probably not until I was around 20, 21 years old. And I can remember for the longest time, whenever I would go into a bookstore or when I was trying to find, you know, my next read, I would search for hours reading all of the synopses and trying to find something that had some sort of storyline where there were two main characters that had some sort of romantic relationship. And it wasn't until I was in a bookstore with one of my friends in college and she noticed that I was doing this and she was like, you know, there's a whole genre for this. You don't have to like scour through historical fiction to try to find that. And I was like, you've got to be joking me. And she showed me where it was. And it was like, I found home. I loved it so much. So I've only been reading it for, you know, six-ish years. And I feel like compared to you, that's like a short amount of time. So I'm still trying to find, you know, what I love. And I start off with the contemporary romances, which I like to call rom-coms. But right now, I would say I'm getting more into the fantasy romances. And that's kind of what I'm falling more in love with. Wow, that sounds really fun. I think you're in maybe like the next golden era of romance. So you have so, so many awesome books to choose from. Yeah, I honestly feel like no matter what romance book I pick up, like some people like to kind of bash on it because they think it follows a certain formula and you know you're going to have your happily ever after whatever it's going to be. But I find something like so comforting in that. It's like, you know that they're going to end up together. And I think it's because in my life, I haven't had a happily ever after yet. So I like reading about somebody who has. That makes complete sense. So I guess before... I go any further. I should just put a dis- disclaimer that I'm a published romance author with Avon, but I'm I've, I'm what I would call like a baby author. So my first book came out during the pandemic, so 2021. But I've been reading romance since I guess like middle school. So this is, feels so old, uh, like the late 80s, as I I found romance because I was such a voracious reader. We lived in a small town. I didn't have access to a lot of books. So we had a, an actual bookmobile that stopped in our, our, our rural neighborhood once a week. 
And the women there got to know my sister and I. And originally, you're only allowed to check out 10 books at a time, which for a voracious reader, 10 books in one week is not enough. So they just ignored the limit when we came on to the bookmobile. And I had pretty much like read everything on this small van. And all that was left were the adult section. So the mass market paperbacks and, you know, like adult hardcover. And it was all like lots of genre fiction. So I went through everything. I read horror. I read plastic. I read whatever I could find, get my hands on. And then eventually I made it to the Harlequins. And I just could not get enough of them. And I think for the same reason you did is like couples always end up together. And of course, as a young hormonal preteen teenager, couldn't get enough of this, this, the spice, right? The sex scenes in there. Because for me, like that was kind of my form of sex education. I wasn't able to get that anywhere else growing up in rural Louisiana. You know, that sex education is not prioritized down there. Or I guess not even like sex education, it's more like reproductive education. And there's nothing, you know, no discussion about pleasure or anything like that. Yeah. And then I took a break during college because I was in a great books program, didn't have time to read romance and got back into it after I had my first child in like the mid-aughts. So I took a pause, but I've been, been reading a long time. Okay. So two things really stuck out with me. The first one this bookmobile thing that you're talking about, all I'm picturing is like an ice cream trick, but for romance books. And that sounds awesome. And I don't know why we don't have more of those. Oh, it's amazing. I think I think a lot of libraries stopped doing it because they didn't have the funding. But yeah, it's just this big van. You go inside. I mean, it's, I think it was probably big to me because I was a kid, but who, you know, it was like the highlight of my week, especially in the summer when we didn't have anything to do, but I think that that would make libraries more accessible to everybody if we could bring them back and make them a thing again. Oh, completely. That would be so much fun. And I know I've heard of a couple bookstores that have like a a little extension of their bookshop that go around to different functions. And if we had more of those, I think it would be just so much fun and amazing. But then the second thing that kind of stuck out to me was when you're talking about sex education. And I had this memory flashback to when I was in high school. And I think the first time I read anything that had a romantic relationship in a book was this book called The Bronze Horseman by Paulina Simmons. And it was the first time that I had ever read about like sex scenes in books. <laughs> and I was just fascinated because kind of similar, like I, I was told about sex and, you know, things like that, but never, like we never went in depth about anything. Nothing was ever explained to me. And I was just like so fascinated by it. And I remember sitting in the back of my classroom, just like reading it under, like having the book under my desk, like reading it while the teacher was trying to teach us. Yeah. Same for, you know, book, like I could not get enough books, but with lots of sex scenes, but we're actually going to talk more about that in the another segment. So if you're listening, you know, keep keep listening to our segment because we're going to dive into all kinds of romance stuff. And so I think that we should actually define what what the romance genre is for people who are not familiar with it. I mean, for me, the romance genre is something, like I said, that like provides a happily ever after. And I think what I've noticed with the books that I've 
been gravitating toward. The earlier books that I read, it was very almost cookie cutter. But now what I appreciate more about the genre is that you kind of dive more into the characters' lives and you get to see, you know, different aspects of their struggles and circumstances. And it feels really applicable to real life. And then seeing them kind of figure out whatever their obstacle is and come together at the end is what I enjoy. Yeah, that's the same for me. So Happily Ever After is, or people will say H-E-A or Happily For Now. So H-F-N, it just means that we know that this this couple or thruple or, you know, whatever the situation is, they have talked out whatever issues they have with each other. And you know that they're in a committed relationship for unspecified amount of time, especially that's the H-F-N. And I like that because I want a happy ending. I read a lot of sci-fi and speculative fiction, and those endings are never, uh, not always happy, but satisfying, right? So for me, when I want to read something that makes me feel good, I want to go through that emotional roller coaster that the that the characters go through when they're trying to realize, say, hey, I might be in love with these people. And so you can root for them. Like, that's what I'm like, come on, just talk to each other, like, kiss already, or Bang already, you know? So that's the part that makes it exciting for me. Yes. And I tend to find myself, even when I'm not reading romance, like you said, I could be reading a sci-fi or even a horror. And I'm like, okay, when is when is somebody going to get together? Like something's going to happen here. That's, uh, you know, tell me you're a romance reader without telling me you're a romance reader. Yes, exactly. All uh, right. So I, I, wanted, yeah, yeah. I wanted to bring up that, I wanted to bring up that romance is probably one of the least respected genres in publishing. I mean, I think every every week there's somebody or some article dissing, you know, romance novels. And, you know, as a newer reader, why do you think that is? From what I've seen, the people who tend to bash on romance novels, it first off, it seems like they haven't given the genre like the time of day. And then it's like, I just get the vibe that they're the type of person that just loves to hate on things that people enjoy. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. So my biggest theory on it is that it's just misunderstood by them. And it's just an easy thing to kind of cling on to, to minimize people's experiences. Yeah, I agree. For me, I think it's it's misogyny and, and internalized misogyny, right? Because originally this genre was written mostly by women for women readers. And and thankfully it's, you know, gotten more expansive, more inclusive now. But I think that society has always looked down at things that women tend to enjoy, saying it's frivolous, right? And people say, oh, well, romance novels are so predictable. Well, you know what? Like mystery are pretty predictable. Like my partner reads James Patterson. Every James Patterson book is the same to me. So how is that any different, right? And he's, you know, multiple bestselling author, owns a bookstore, you know, there's all those TikToks about how many James Patterson books are published, but yet people don't disparage him because he he writes a predictable genre. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I feel like you hear a lot of times that the romance genre follows a certain formula and you know that X, Y, and Z are going to happen. But like you said, 
you could pick up any mystery and you know certain things are going to happen and you know predictable plot points. And that's just like every genre has its own type of formula. And so I agree. It's like when women tend to love something, it can be dismissed as, like you said, frivolous or what people call basic. And for some reason, one thing that I've heard when kind of dismissing the romance genre is that it's not an intellectual read. And to me, that's kind of confusing because relationships within itself is something that we're still trying to figure out and it's hard to navigate. Yeah. I, and, and there are people who say, oh, well, romance is so simple. Like I could write it myself. But it's so hard to write a romance because you have to fit within the genre, but yet create really compel- like compelling stories. So especially contemporary romance because it's mostly character driven. So if you don't do, if you don't write a, you know, like a really deep, you know, three-dimensional character, it's just hard to get the story going. And I also think, you know, it can also be hard to express what happens in relationships in a way that comes across on the page. Like, it's one thing to feel something, but it's another thing to write it out so that readers can also feel that thing. And kind of put words to what that emotion is. Oh, that's such a good point. Because feelings, feelings are hard. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes, sometimes when I'm reading books, I'm like, oh, it'd be so much fun to write something. And like an idea comes to my mind. And then it's like, okay, but how do I turn this one sentence idea that I have into a 300 page book that people would want to read? You know, and I, I think authors are brilliant because you all are able to do that. I put themselves, themselves to this torture. You know, I'm working on a my third book right now. And sometimes I, I look at my my manuscript and like, why am I choose to do this? It's a little hard. But I think that for me, the journey of like, these people have come alive in my head and I really want them to together and follow her so that their people can see that you know, HGAs are possible. Someone who has an HGA with their partner of 25 plus years, I definitely want to show people that, yeah, like if this is something that you want in your life, like you can definitely find somebody. It's just not easy. All right. So what are some of your book recommendations that you would give to people if they're trying to branch out into the romance genre? Ooh, there's so many subgenres within romance. So say if you enjoy reading historical fiction, you could pick up a historical romance. And a recent one I read that I really enjoyed is a Caribbean heiress in Paris by Adriana Herrera. It's She's a Latinx writer. And this one is set through in Paris during the World's Fair with a Dominican heroine and a, and a Scottish duke. I can't remember, but there's a, so many dukes in romance. I'm just going to warn you now. Um, and she owns a, dis, a distillery, rum distillery, and she's trying to find someone to buy her you know her spirits and she has to enter a fake marriage with a a very hot well-endowed scottish duke and there's lots of fun banter and and there's this amazing sex scene on the eiffel tower that that lives rent free in my head that's amazing i'm gonna have to add it to my tbr i'm a huge fan of series and I'd say if you're looking for 
I so I really love witchy romances and I've gotten into the fantasy type of romances, but the Witches of Thistle Grove series by Lana Harper is a great place to start. Like you said about all the different subgenres, if you're looking for women in STEM and strong female characters, Allie Hazelwood, I really enjoyed Love on the Brain. I was a little let down by Love Hypothesis, but I feel like each book that she puts out, they just keep getting better. And then the most recent one that I've read that I've really enjoyed is My Roommate is a Vampire by Jenna Levine. This, I like, I had no idea I could love a vampire read as much as I did. And now it's making me want to go to Chicago where it was set and try to find my vampire roommate. Add out, looking for a vampire roommate. So if you like contemporary, Denise Williams, she is a Black romance author who is also a professor. She actually teaches a class of, of like the about romance. I think like the history. She you can go through the whole thing. But the sweetest connection is a novella, so it's part of her series where people find love in the airport. And the sweetest connection is between two people who work in an airport instead of you know like the the whole fling thing. And it's just super fun. There's like a little mini mystery because somebody drops a love note and. They're trying to figure out who in their their gate works there, wrote the note, and who is the person they wrote it to. They're trying to get them back together. But in the meantime, they realize that they might have a thing for each other. So Denise Williams got a bunch of books out, and they're super fun and definitely spacey. So those are a good entryway to contemporary romance. All right. And like you said, our next segment is going to dive into the relationship dynamics of some of these characters, what we like, what we don't like, what could be seen as toxic, what's attainable, what we should aim for. And so I'm also looking forward to that conversation. All right. So stay tuned for our next segment and we'll talk to you later. Happy readings. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh.